You are listening to the Sound Girls Podcast. This is Susan and Becky, and today's episode features Chrissy Sarah. Keeping the whole AV solution goals in mind, Chrissy thrives not just in digital signage, but also in presentation training of pro AV technology. From her start in broadcast TV in 2009 to her current home in pro AV, Chrissy has spent her 12-year career gaining skills in technical training design, video presentation, video signal transport, IoT connectivity, AV systems control, video system commissioning, and technical support. That's right, everyone. It is an AV episode today. (laughs) Chrissy Zara's (laughs) latest work focuses on supporting Sony Pro Electronics B2B division with a concentration in IoT digital signage solutions, hybrid presentation solutions, internal technical education, and fostering central U.S. consultant relationships. Chrissy has achieved a well-rounded understanding of the five key aspects of the AV industry, audio, video, control, networking, and project management. Through her experience teaching AVIXA CTS and CTSI ANSI certification, certified certification programs, Sarah achieved the Educator of the Year Award in 2021 from AVIXA's Infocom 2021 in Orlando, Florida. And you also have a bunch of letters after your name. So it's it's Chrissy Sarah, CTSI, DSCE, DCME. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Welcome, Chrissy. I'm exhausted for you. (laughs) Just listening to your bio. I'm like, what in the world? You need a nap. (laughs) I was like, wow, I always forget how much I've done until somebody reads it back to me. And I'm like, who is this person? (laughs) She is a certified certification person. Certified. Certified. Certified in all the things. It's a good run. It's a good run. I have seen some of your training videos pop up on the uh, on the Infocom Avixa YouTube page, and I'm like, hey, I know that lady. Yeah, here she yeah. is. Yeah, those were good times. There's a couple hidden in YouTube too from some of my old companies that oh, yeah? pops up every now because the YouTube algorithm sees me, you know, googling AV videos, and then every now and then like. AW Tech Tips will come back to life. And I was like, whoa, I'm such a noob. (laughs) (laughs) So you've been putting things on YouTube and training people for the majority of your career. You're just everywhere. Well, it's funny. It's, It's always been for the technical training kind of went hand in hand when I started after broadcast season. And I started with click effects in the LED commissioning world the technical training kind of went side by side with that. And then over time, the technical stuff kind of, you know, did a roller coaster. And then the the technical training just kind of stayed steady. And then that ended up kind of taking me through uh, creating the training programs at Analog Way. And then that uh, led into the Avixa instructor period, which was great. And so every time I worked for those different companies, they would do something because of my broadcast background. They were like, hey, you do well on camera. Let's put you on camera, which is funny because I actually got into this whole industry to be behind the camera. <laughs> and somehow it still <laughs> keeps happening. <laughs> They're like, hey, you go talk on camera. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of used to it at this point. 
And they don't tell me when they're going to put it up on the interwebs. So then all of a sudden somebody will text me and be like, hey, I just saw this video of you. And I was like, oh, I forgot I did that. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. Time. So for us, our listeners that don't know even what a CTS certification is, can you give them kind of like, like the synopsis of it? Is that the right word? Synopsis? Totally. Yep. So there's a company called Avixa who used to be called Infocom and they are the trade show organization that owns the big AV trade show called Infocom that happens every year and it flip-flops between Vegas and Orlando. This year it's in Vegas and um, they also created a certification program called CTS and then there's also two other parts of it, CTSI and CTSD. CTSI is installation and CTSD is design. So basically what they did was they wanted to create a standardization of some sort for general AV knowledge so that people who came in either fresh off the street or, you know, fresh out of college or whatever, um, they could label them in some way, you know, technically inclined to what happens on a day-to-day basis of AV. Like if you're going to put, if you're going to slap AV next to your name, let's hope that you know at least these five things. And those were those things that we mentioned in my bio about the industry in general, because AV is audio and visual. So it's nice if audio people know a little bit about video and video people know a little bit about audio. And then what what is also involved with all of those is networking, meaning the connectivity, not networking with people, but except that mm-hmm. is a huge part of the AV industry as well. <laughs> um, and then control, because you got to control all of those devices. And then the project management side of it. And to be honest, there's quite a few other areas of general knowledge that would be important. But I think their main focus was to get something on the books, give, give people an opportunity to get something behind their name. So now having CTS or CTSI or both the CTSI and CTSD behind your name is, is kind of like a, a checkbox of, hey, this person has the whole picture in mind. You know, they're actually understanding a little bit about signal flow. They're understanding a little bit about control and networking as well as project management and a little bit behind what happens in the sales process. And as far as what it has done for me, you know, I wasn't, I'm never somebody who just like automatically drinks a Kool-Aid and is a big fan of things. Like I really have to experience it myself. And before I joined Avixa, I had actually not been a fan of the CTS program because I didn't know what it was. And I was teaching a manufacturer's training programs and mm-hmm. everybody would come in with different opinions of CTS. And I just, it was, it was this, this off in the distance thing. And then when I got involved with Avixa, um, it really came clear to me why it was so important to have and why it was neat to be part of that. And then another big part too is conversationally, if I meet somebody with a CTS or any of those certifications behind their name, it's an instant icebreaker oh, how was your testing experience? How many years ago did you get it? Who was your instructor? Da, 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 da. So mm-hmm. it's it's twofold. It's it's a lot. It's, it's helpful in a lot of ways, I think. That's a lot of work. That is the one of the most intense testing things I in AV I've ever done. Um, I, I actually did not end up taking the test. I studied for it and was like, you know what? I'm not doing this. And, and I didn't end up needing it. But it, had I have ended up going with this one job, they required it for me to do install stuff yep. as well as their live. So I was going for, you know, a CTS like install. So I learned enough 
to know that I hate installs and I don't really want to do that for a living. Um, but just worked in the shop a lot more instead of that. Sure. But, and that's the only reason I didn't take it, but man, what a overload of information and yeah, it is a lot. really cool. I think it's really cool to have one and, and, you know, I've seen the guys and the girls that have t- taken those tests too, like yourself and passed them. And like the knowledge that you guys have is bl- mind boggling to me. Like I learn more after strange. someone like you shows me how to do it. You know what I mean? That's cool. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's strange. The knowledge that will just come out of the blue too, that I forgot that I remembered or forgot that I learned. And then somebody will ask me a question. I was like, Oh yeah, I do know that. <laughs> <laughs> I need to stop overthinking and just do the thing because I already knew the thing. <laughs> Chrissy and Susan are so. my go-to uh, video folks when, especially during the pandemic, when I started doing video switching and streaming install thingies and trying to help others do it. And our world collided quite a bit over the last couple of years, you know, as far as audio and video goes, but you guys are always like my go-to phone calls. Like, oh my God, I don't know why this is happening. Because video is not my strong suit. So thank you both. I'll always be there for you. <laughs> thank you both for giving I, me I will always now. be there for the FaceTime and I'll be like, Becky, I don't know what the fuck that is. <laughs> HMI, BNC. What is BGA? That's <laughs> All the, oh man, I almost had to call y'all this last weekend. I had a projector go out in one of my corporate events. Oh no. Just like, you know, two hours before the event. No big deal. And it's awesome. in a truss. It's probably your so main it's, projector too. Uh, well, we had two and, you know, so matching projectors because y'all have taught me they look nicer that way. Um, so there's like one on left side, right side, whatever, matched up, color match, beautiful, looks awesome. And all of a sudden... I'm like leaning over my desk to do something and this little amplifier splitter deal that I have was really hot. And I, I felt it like under my arm and I was like, Oh no, that can't be good. And then all of a sudden my left side projector went out. So I just pulled everything out and just like set it there. Like what is happening? <laughs> but somewhere power surge, something or other, and it went down the line and blew out my projector. So good times. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's rough. Y- You'd have been twitching the rest of the week, though, because I had to borrow the projector from the hotel and try to color match a, you'll get this, a oh. 12K oh, laser projector with a 10K DLP. <laughs> <laughs> They're both shaking their heads. If there's any video people in our uh, song girls world, you're, you're all throwing oh, up right boy. now. But yeah, it was just good fun. Oh, I'm sure. Good times. I'm sure some people didn't notice. Maybe like three. No, okay. So it's actually <laughs> a solid point. I was watching the preview of a movie. I don't know if we're allowed to say movie names on the yeah. podcast, but it's a movie that just came out on Amazon. And uh, I was like, oh, that actually looks kind of cool. And so I pressed the preview and it is so cinematically beautiful. It was distracting. I couldn't even tell you what happened in the first 11 minutes of the movie. Like the lighting was so good. I have to reach out to some of my people and be like, who and what shot this movie? It is incredible. And it's even like almost annoying. Like, for instance, they were doing this dinner scene of the main character and his old lover. And they have to meet up and and tackle this case together or whatever. And the whole scene was like, you know, the camera would catch the dinner plate, like slowly moving down to the 
to the table. Like it was trying to build so much suspense. But like, I don't know if you guys ever tried the light liquid pouring into a glass or keeping food well lit as it's moving down to a table, but it's really difficult. <laughs> and this, whoever did that movie, that production studio nailed it. And I ended up having to watch the rest of the movie without the sound because it was so overstimulating. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It, interesting. I'm going to have to get the get the info and watch it. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's really worth it. I'd get like a margarita with it or something because it's intense. Well, that's a given. I don't even know. Like, I, I mean, I know enough <laughs> about what it's about, but the two storylines, when I watch movies without audio, sometimes you get dueling storylines. So depending on how they shoot the, the movie, depends on which one's going to trump your attention, right? And so... The, the one was originally about, uh, uh, the starting was about this attack that the military had to go deal with. And then the second storyline is this whole love dude's relationship. And I'm just like, oh gosh, can't handle this. <laughs> watch this in sections. <laughs> I feel like binge watching TV has become, like ruined me for watching movies. Because now I'm like, oh man, it's more than 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I agree. And you can't take in, I mean, movies are so different too, like visually and audio, obviously, than like a 20 minute deal, you know, like to me, it's, you get more emotion and feeling out of a longer process of like weaved storyline with yeah, lighting you, and video you go through the journey. And, yeah. It's kind of like going to a, a club show live versus going to an arena show, right? There's a complete different feeling when you've got giant LED walls with giant sound, you know, coming out of giant crowds screaming versus, you know, maybe no LED wall and hardly any video or something tiny, you know, in a little PA, you're just kind of like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I love the whole thing about it, like how it messes with your physical body and like emotions and mind and everything. Yeah, yeah I think the part of why it's so fun is the puzzle part of it you know like somebody says hey i need this i want this or whatever somebody was talking to me today about an interactive classroom that actually turned more into like a tv studio environment where like everybody on the far end was also beautifully lit and mic'd and then there was a camera next to each face location in the in the led wall and so when the presenter that was the presenter was in place and the whole audience was hybrid like that's a lot of moving parts and that just seems like a really fun puzzle yeah. I was asking some people, like, what are some questions that we should ask you? And our mutual friend, Willis Snow, came up with a good one for me to ask you. Ooh, so uh, ready. what do video folks wish audio folks knew? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny when you think about those questions and reversing those two, it's like, what do audio people wish video people knew? Um, you know, it's different niches you got to think about there's live events there's fixed install there's av designers you know there's a whole plethora of different types of audio people and different types of video people um i think i think collectively the first thing would be that no one is better than the other like they have to both work together to do the thing i i personally think better in a visual way so for me it would be naturally makes more sense for me to be in the video versus me to be as easily involved with audio 
Mm-hmm. So I would say the first thing to that would be that you need one to have the other. And depending on, I mean, even it, when I listen to, if we go all the way to like sound recording audio people who deal with, you know, recording artists and they're in, um, you know, they're, they're getting high quality analog sound. Um, they have to, like when I listen to the outcome of that, whether I'm in an analog sound room or whatever, whatever instance I'm listening to it, I'm picturing what's going on visually in the song in my mind. So mm-hmm. just like I watch video or movies without audio, because if the cinematography is not on point, then there's no point watching the movie. And then listening to songs with no visual available, like I'm doing the same thing in my head, you know? Um, so there's, there's lots of ways to think about it. As far as technical information, I mean, all things need, need pathways. So my specialty is signal flow and, um, you know, there's always going to be quality, whether it's video quality or audio quality, and then how those two can work together, which one, if, if one of them has to take, you know, video, I don't, I, I don't know this for sure, but I would assume that it takes more bandwidth than like, if you're running high quality video, it's going to take more bandwidth on your signal flow than high quality audio. Um, That's correct. I know, I know I can say that with, I like a lot. Yeah, I would I would say that with a bit of confidence, not only because of my CTS experience, but also the my live events and doing video editing for news. When I worked in news, like I would have to have significantly more space on my recording devices for video. So we're always going to need more. (laughs) Um, And coming when I think of live events, I think about the people that are on stage you know, when y'all setting up a show and when the, the video people are setting up a show, we always, we almost have to share the same space for a bit of time. I know Mm -hmm. lighting's a really big issue. Um, (laughs) when you're dealing with a brand new rig, you know, coming in with a a truck rig and then setting that up. So, um, the funsies part is it's all very similar (laughs) color and light and sound all runs on frequencies. So we're kind of in the same boat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you one thing i wish video people live video people knew uh about audio mm. is that if they okay. ask in the middle of the day for us to give them a line we can actually test it and have it ready before the show <laughs> they come up to me five minutes before the live show almost every time i mean i don't oh, I, most yeah. people that are videoing like do you have a feed can i get a feed we're going on in five minutes bro like you know yeah now on, on my end dude what what i've started doing on my end to to help bridge that is i have one set up on my console already just in case and that's paid off that's more times than i can tell you especially at festivals because they'll video you know whoever's outside onto the big screens at these festivals so you've got five six videographers out there you know with video stations and somebody's looking for an audio feed that matches what they're doing on stage you know so those things a lot of times are last minute and i'm like man they don't need to be they don't need to be (laughs) yeah i think it's because it's possibly the last thought in our heads because we have so Mm -hmm. many other things we got to think about especially if there's projector blending involved because that's always going to take a chunk of time no matter if you know that projector and you know those screens and you've been working with them for however many shows in a row situationally the new site is going to bring something different 
And it's I, like, I have a question with that projector blending. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I feel like I could blend it forever. Like, oh I, yeah, <laughs> I could never stop. Like it will never be as pres- like perfect. Is that is that common? Very common. Um, you know, you could be literally sitting there for hours on end. However, there is a kind of a line with us visual people where you start approaching the line of unless you're in AV, you won't be able to see <laughs> the error. <laughs> so once once in my mind, when I'm doing any kind of live event setup, I'm always thinking if if I'm starting to get to the point where, okay, only so-and-so in my head would see this or my, my you know, video buddy A is going to see this or going to walk in and be like, wow, really, Chrissy, you let this fly? <laughs> um, <laughs> then I know that I'm, I'm you know, 98% done. But I mean, I had a scenario in Georgia in the training academy where I had projectors that would shoot. They were they were mounted to the ceiling truss. And in Georgia, when the ceiling truss gets hot, it expands. And so my mm-hmm. by 12 o'clock noon, my blend was off and I'd have to sit there and like, you know, kick it over a couple pixels and then the sun would get hot and then it would go back down. So by five o'clock, my blend shifted again. And it's like you can only you can only do so much before you got to just stop and let it go. (laughs) I think the biggest thing other than the blend is the color matching. If that's really where you got to pay attention, because if that's off, even by just a little bit, you can actually make people dizzy if they're watching it. And one projector is a little couple, couple, a couple frequencies off. It'll, it'll that was the problem with my 12 K versus 10 K. (laughs) last Mm -hmm. week i think we ran the brightness level at 30 on the 12k just to yeah but the color was the horrible part right so it's like a neon green spray bottle in this one video and it looks like bluish green in the other one and i'm like um (laughs) and then you pull that down and then you're like oh look all the red looks hot pink that's awesome (laughs) nope Oh, that's giving me anxiety just listening to you. <laughs> I should have taken a picture and sent it to the both of you, but I'm not that cruel. Blech. I was like, "That's this is where, you know, LED walls come in handy, right? Hopefully they're all yeah, color matched. They, uh, <laughs> we Good installed, LED walls. Yep. yeah, I, I, my job, we installed a brand new video switcher in our main room. And I don't think they had so much confidence with it because this past weekend we had an event we hadn't done in two years and uh, they didn't run their video content through the switcher. They just ran it straight to the video wall. And I was like, oh, but it's okay. The, the switcher is fine. They, they've bypassed it. Yeah, I, I find it interesting somehow. You know, I, I in my brain, I'm always thinking about signal flow. So like I forget that that people don't know what a program out is. So when I have, you know, all of my camera sources or my media sources and they're coming into the switcher to then be mixed and then shot out of a program out, like, mm-hmm. you know, that's 20 cables in one out. And I was on a call the other day and I was like over here somewhere in like La La design land. And then I realized nobody knew what I was talking about. So I stepped back in conversation to see where I got the, you know, like the, oh yeah, I know what she's talking about. <laughs> the eyeball and it wasn't oh, until okay. I got like, 
yeah oh oh and it wasn't until i got all the way to the part where we have four cameras in the room and a video switcher where i was like oh crap <laughs> i forgot okay let's start over and then it made a lot more sense <laughs> yeah that that's fun. where i, I like mean, getting that's... down to some of that though that's where I start in video all you know, cause I'm like a baby video person, you know, like I just do little things in ballrooms and stuff like that. So it's like, if I have to call one of you guys, I'm like, okay, here's the setup. Boom, boom, boom. Tell you what I have. And then I'm like, and talk to me like I'm a child. Cause that's what I need to know, you know, in order to get this up and running, which is crazy. If I don't have a video person on my crew, it becomes my job to do it. So I've started hiring sure. crews specifically that have, you know, a video person, a lighting person, cause those aren't my strong suits. I'm like, I don't, usually need an audio one because I've got that one down but it's like some of these other ones you know you have things that happen I need to know does this person know enough you know like I don't know I think it was my amp that exploded and maybe it blew out something on my projector but sure how do we troubleshoot that okay boom boom like I know enough about signal flow and I've had to learn enough about signal flow because our worlds collide so much you know, whether like you were saying, it's a broadcast truck or an installation somewhere. If I'm working in a church, I may be doing all three of these things, audio, video and lighting on the same day. So it's like, you know, it doesn't like regardless of where we're at. I think us knowing more about like sound girls, knowing more about audio for video and video, you know, things that you guys need us to know, like would be super helpful. So we're not talking above audio, you know, and video people's heads either you know, because I'll start doing oh, that. Yeah. Like, hey, what if you get that? And this video person's looking at me like, I have no idea about any of the cables you just said. <laughs> right. Well, it's, it's a, it, that's an interesting point that you bring up. So um, I think, I guess my question would be, what would you want video people to know on a live event setup? If, if, if roles were switched, like if you had a video person shadowing you, you know, they're not used to those, that signal flow. They're not used to those cables, the connections, you know, HDMI versus BNC can only go a certain length before signal degradation. You could also only put certain resolutions on certain cables. Is that the same for audio cables? Um, I know XLRs are field uh, terminable, terminable, terminatable. That's a word. We're making it a word. <laughs> um, BNC is a little bit more difficult, you know, so in our mm -hmm. brains, if we have a cable go out, we have to plan in our setup if I have to go make one or go buy one or scrounge one up. You know, like what are some of the things that you would take ad advantage of in your brain space because you do it every single day that we should have some type of an appreciation for? Um, another example would be like your really huge, those really huge mixers that come in and they're like the size of my kitchen table. Why in the world do you need that? Like, <laughs> what is possibly why is that so big <laughs> one because i like big toys <laughs> because like, it looks cool is a valid reason it's yeah a valid reason um so for instance i have one of the big toys right i carry a bigger console than i probably need for most of the shows that we do but some of the shows we do uh we have do symphony shows so I have 190 sure. some inputs on a symphony show. But if it's just the trio or the band, you know, I might only have like 16 inputs to 28 to 45, you know, and, the, but the symphony takes up almost the entire console. And because some symphony, we don't work with the same symphony all the time either. Sometimes we work with one that has, you know, we single mic, 
the first two violins and the first two violas and the first so you have all of those microphones on stage some we just area mic and i end up with 20 mics you know so it, it all kind of varies that's why i carry a giant console like that now on that console i don't have like I have XLR connections out. I have Dante. I have AES. You know, can a video camera take all that or a switcher? Like, I don't know, you know, but if I'm advancing the show, I'm going to talk to hopefully the video person. If I know, like, uh, I'll give you like a quick synopsis. We were in San Diego at the Symphony Orchestra. They have huge LED walls out there and they do a... 12 camera shoot i think it was gorgeous whoever the director was i kept looking at the video wall all night because they were they were switching so well and they knew exactly like he he had sheet music in front of him and he was following the orchestra and just it was just impressive right and on the advance sheet he emailed me and said you know um i would like to know if i can get stems from you and eight inputs of those plus a left and right he knew exactly what he wanted so they sell DVDs of the symphony later on and he could mix the whole thing down to sound just like you wanted it to. And I was like, absolutely. Wow. It'll sound better, you know, for us too, if you do it that way, instead of just sending them whatever, you know, so that we worked on it. I mean, we worked ahead of time on it. So it's, it turned out amazing, I'm sure, but I haven't heard it yet, but those kind of things, I think it's just communication, right? Like with anything else you do, like you were saying earlier, if you're loading in and you're on stage and you got to wait for the lighting guy and this, you know, you just kind of help each other out and work through it, you know? I don't know. Yeah. We're having long interesting, like, conversations today about AV. What's going on? <laughs> you brought me on the podcast. That's what happened. <laughs> All this brain power everywhere. I've never been this serious oh, in my man. life on a podcast. What's happening? pulling it from the re- the reservoirs because my <laughs> monday is like creeping along right. like I, I might need another red bull later <laughs> what got you into av were you always like interested in technology when you were a kid or was you know like because you were very visual did that automatically appeal to you like how did you fall into this crazy industry of ours yeah, that's a great question. So it definitely started when I was really little. Uh, when I lived in New York, um, I would visit my grandparents often and my grandfather would have the news on all day long. And so there wasn't, we weren't allowed to watch any other TV. It was just news. And eventually as a kid, you know, you get, you don't even know what they're saying as adults. But what I got interested in was how all the graphics would show up like, obviously, I see it's just a person there, but like, how'd they get the, the logo of the news station? How'd they get the ticker at the bottom? And then they would, you know, swoop all that away. And then it would be another video. They'd cut in another video. And that was actually what got me in. Originally, my curiosity was struck even way back then. Um, And then when I moved to Illinois, I got kind of swept away into like animal science and I was actually going to do some type of vet work or uh, become like a butcher or something that has to do with animals and the (laughs) quite extreme opposite (laughs) (laughs) there's there's room for all types of animals sorry so um, like wait what (laughs) I'm gonna save them or kill them one of the two yep pretty much uh so that was a big 
uh, mindset of mine for a while. And then I kind of had this whole moment of like, well, what do I want to do that's fun for a living? And there was a, a course offered in my high school at the time, which was very new. It was beta course. And they were going to see how many people were interested in it before they were going to decide to offer it for following years. And it was a broadcast journalism class. And our homework involved us having to take a video camera out, whatever one you had around the house. And we had, we had to produce five videos in the, in the year. One of them was a music video, you know, and like just whatever. So, um, fun. yeah, I had a lot of fun doing that. That is so cool. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of fun doing that. I remember most of those shoots and I, I was producing, you know, in high school. So I did, um, the fray, a song from the fray. And I got like these random high schoolers that were just like sitting there smoking pot, like playing, playing the keyboard, like no idea what they're even doing, but I'm just like, nice. stay there. I'm just gonna move the camera around. You're like, choo, 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 you know, like I was like so into it, <laughs> edited all together and like won an award or something. So I was like, okay, this, that really got me pretty excited about um, TV. So I actually wanted to go to college to be a late night TV producer and was well on my way to do that because I have I have a pretty hilarious, at least I think, sense of humor, but it's the kind of sense of humor that needs to go on late night TV. <laughs> so I was like, I could, I could totally This is one of the many things I love about you. I could bring all of that to work and... Where is a produce. place that you could wear your custom-made raccoon hat to work? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, oh gosh, there it is again. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> hold hold this because this is gonna go on our all right, all that we're all busted, right? I'm totally putting this on Instagram, y'all. It's the most busted looking podcast name? crew. But at least you the that's amazing. Does the raccoon have a name? Uh found on Road Dead. Oh, it's okay. a Ford, and you brought and you brought it home. <laughs> His name Ford, and you brought it home. You're like, this is my new hat. Yes. Yeah, well, think about it. Back in the day, before we had like you know coats and modern day weirdness, we had animals. So mm -hmm. you know, I know nice. recycling. Um. So, anyways, I totally I can't to do take you serious. <laughs> You just start right back up where you left off with this raccoon hat. And I cannot. <laughs> I just can't. So late night TV producing. And then uh, I was, you know, to get into broadcast TV, you have to do news. Uh, so if you're interested in doing anything on TV, you got to spend some time at a news station. And the way news stations work is they have... Uh, networks essentially so like chicago i don't know what it is now but back in the day it was chicago was was two new york was one and then miami was one you know it was like i don't know three or four you can look it up um and the one that i went to was 142 so like you know you could talk about you know the biggest news that was happening was that ace hardware was having a sale on trash cans like it was not a big deal but it was a very good deal for getting me into uh, the TV world. So I did not like that job. I cried when I got the job because I did not want to talk about all the stuff that I had to listen to as a kid for hours on end. But I did get myself to where I wanted to get myself. And that was at the actual place that put those graphics up on the screen. So nice. I learned, um, I learned all of it and I followed through with that curiosity. And, um, 
it, the, I was actually, by that time, you know, part of, part of getting into where you are successful in this industry is that you put your nose to the grindstone every day and you find work to do, whether, even if it's not even in your wheelhouse, if you're sitting around like thinking, I'm only going to be a camera operator and you won't take any other job, like then you're putting your, you're putting yourself in a corner and then you're going to be mad at yourself and wondering why you can't get hired because you only know one skill set that you are only, you know, only yeah. pushing forward, like go learn some other stuff. And, um, you'll also meet a lot of people and you might even find uh, a part of the industry that you didn't even know existed. Like I know one really big one right now is virtual production that we're pretty excited about, but there's people that don't even know the first thing about video, but they know about computer graphics generation. Right. Right. And so now they're in conversations with people that works with people who are doing these big, huge virtual production sets. So I was signing off on my last freelance gig, um, leading up to planning to fully invest into a TV broadcast. And that was actually where I got hired on uh, to the first company I moved to Nashville for in the AV industry, which was the LED commissioning. So it was fun. And um, I, I had kept trying to get back to TV my entire career. And then eventually it's like, you know, if you don't, if you don't use it every day, you kind of lose some of it and you also lose some of those connections or they retire out. And so like the direct directors and the producers and all these TV people that you knew 10 years ago, like they're, they're, they're on a boat some way, somewhere. They don't care. <laughs> they don't care about connecting you with anybody. <laughs> Look at this carp. Like they, they don't, they do not care. <laughs> right. So yeah, that's how I kind of got into this crazy world. Kind of sucked so, me in as it usually does. So then did you start teaching after that or you went from building like LED walls and things. Where'd you go after that? Well, going back to my example of how technical teaching kind of ran side by side, my AV work, um, that technical training started with teaching the clients at that first company, how to use the product they just bought, which was my first introduction to clients, not knowing what they're buying, which still baffles me, but you know, <laughs> whatever. So I'm sitting there and, you know, showing them this computer. And the best way I think to teach somebody is as if you're trying to teach um, somebody who's not in that industry. So like I might have an, a, a graphics operator sitting in my control room and I'm sitting there walking them through this computer system of how to run their LED walls. But I'm going to explain it to them as if they've never seen a computer before. Or they've never seen an LED wall before. That way they can't leave that training saying, they didn't learn something because they're going to learn something from that. And I'm going right. to be even more thorough than I would be if I just said, go read the manual, figure it out yourself. <laughs> Please don't make me read the manual. It's confusing. Yeah. <laughs> so that, uh, that was kind of where all that technical Scary. training came in. And with that ex field experience, I mean, you learn teaching adults is, uh, is not easy by any means. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people coming in thinking they should already know it or they don't want to spend time learning something new or whatever the reason they're not open to actually sitting there and investing in the future of their product or themselves. So you have to kind of sometimes move through those hurdles. But then as I got into more of that technical training, my audience grew and my student base grew. So now it's the ages, anywhere age difference between 18 and 62. And then also inside of that is all the technical difference knowledge difference too 
Um, some people might be different niches altogether. They might not need to know about cable length and degradation, you know, um, and so on. So I had to always kind of balance that and and make sure that everybody left those trainings with at least, you know, three takeaways or at least some kind of gem that they could take home and, and you know, expand on later. But that was kind of where some of that, and I was naturally, my mom was a teacher. So, and I would always have to hang around school <laughs> after, after class to like wait for her to leave. So I, I, I was raised by a lot of teaching people and it just comes very naturally, naturally to me. Well, you're obviously very good at it, being teacher of the year and all. <laughs> Thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I mean, I've learned a ton yeah. from you, so even, and I haven't even been in one of your training classes yet, so you know that's where we're at. Um, so, <laughs> what do you, what advice do you have for our younger generation, our audience that? you know, runs into AV world or wants to be more involved in AV world, maybe not sure how to get in to all that, just coming out of college, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually would probably be better to answer what do I have, what advice do I have for the veterans of the industry? Um, well, give us some of that too. But as far as, <laughs> yeah, as far as like brand new people in the industry, it's hard because I don't know what it's like to be them right now. Mm -hmm. Um but the uh i can imagine that it's you know basically start with something that start with a a problem that you see people are having and then you know list out as many of those pain points that you see and then out of those pain points figure out which one speaks the highest to you and seek after that lane first and when you say okay well if it's in, if it's going to be AV flavored, you know, I hate the fact that we can't run signal any further than 25 feet on an HDMI cable. Well, okay, go figure out how to change that, you know, and, and start meeting people and learning, learning technology around that. Um, I have a really cool book somewhere in here about, uh, um, you know, the physics behind signal flow. I would love to spend time in that. I would love to be a color expert. Um, but I can't, I can't cause that is very niche and you, it, it's, so I did everything else around that. And I, I get to have some fun conversations with people about color every now and then, but it's not necessarily something that I could make a career out of for myself. So I would say to kind of, uh, organize your thoughts and your, your path, and then <laughs> do that. Find the motivation that's going to keep you going and then expect there to be change in your plan. So I started out wanting to be a late night TV producer and somehow I work as a senior sales support engineer for a <laughs> manufacturer. Like, um, so that would be what I would say to the youngins and then to the veterans of the industry, um, kind of the same thing around change. Change is bound to happen. And it's better to be open to changing with the times than to be stuck in the old ways of processing AV and processing signal flow because it's just you're 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 going to limit what your customer can obtain by staying in the past. Uh, so, great example is the ushering in of hybrid working environments and hybrid learning experiences. Like, 
that's actually pretty fun to, to consider like what's best for everybody in that space. Um, psychologically there's teaching styles and there's, there's learning styles. How are we going to meet those pain points, both on the teaching side and the learning side virtually? Um, Mm -hmm. and with all of the different hybrid class learning options, you know, there's, there's all types of versions. Um, you know, there's another conversation I'd like to have with the learning community and the people that specialize in teaching and learning um, and talent development is, okay, how best do you guys see um, teaching environments to be most successful? And then add in the fact that it's virtual. Like for me, being a visual person, it's very helpful for me to see clear visual aids. So if I'm learning something, especially something that's physical, like how to bake a cake over YouTube, like I need to have all the ingredients. I need to have the cake. I need to have the mixing bowl. I need to have the kitchen like in front of me because I could sit there and watch somebody else bake a cake and take notes, but it's not going to be the same unless I'm physically doing it. That's just my learning style. Um, so yeah, that there's lots of, I could go on for that. So <laughs> I could go on for a long time with that. And being, being veterans in the industry, they're like, Oh, you know, I'm 30 something years in this industry. I don't need to learn anymore. I'll be able to take what I have to the grave with me. And it's like, well, yeah, you will. Cause you, you, you're not open to the new technology that's being ushered in rapidly to actually answer your customer's current pain points, not the ones 10 years ago. Good advice all the way around. I like it. So you're probably still freezing. It's what April? Are you getting, it's becoming spring in Chicago. You're in Chicago, correct? Or outside of Chicago? Yes. Yeah. And one last thing I have to talk to Chrissy about is Chrissy has horses, y'all. How are your horses? Well, um, I have two and they are, so horses do this thing called cabin. We call it cabin fever where they're in, um, they're in you know, a smaller paddock for most of winter because of all the ice and the snow and the hazard conditions. Um, and you know, that's probably three to four months that they're in a smaller space. It's still fine for them. It's just smaller. You know, they can't run around and stretch their legs as, as much as they could on the large summer pasture pasture. So they, uh, went out to pasture, um, maybe a week ago. And it's always so adorable when you put their halters on, and you're taking all the horses out of the small paddock, they know they're going to the big paddock. So they start getting all excited and they're like dancing around and neighing and like talking to each other. And then as soon as you let off the lead and they, they go tearing off into the big paddock, (laughs) running around and like bucking and um, doing circles and snorting. And like, they're just getting so high on being able to run around and breathe in fresh air and get their lungs working. And then inevitably they'll always roll. So after they, you know, get all their energy out, which is adorable, um, they will find a spot. And so you'll have all four of them rolling around, uh, rolling (laughs) on the ground. And a happy horse is a horse that can roll from one side to the other. So sometimes a horse will roll on one side, get up and then flop over to the other side and roll. And then that's just an old horseman wives tale of a horse is happy. They can roll over in one setting. (laughs) So we're shedding right now. It's 60 degrees, 30 degrees at night, 60 degrees in the daytime. And that means that their winter coats are shedding. So now when they roll, they leave little hair angels (laughs) of their hair on the ground. 
Um, and that's adorable. Do what? Is that adorable or gross? I'm not it's sure. Adorable. Okay, it's adorable. Because <laughs> you know, horses shed outside. They don't shed in the house. If they shed right? in the house, I'd be more upset. <laughs> that's fair. So, yesterday, I don't know if it's going to come over well. Not yesterday, but I caught my cutie little pie sleeping. And oh my he gosh. had his nose on the ground oh. and his she, his ears were twitching and he was dreaming about something. And that is uh, the cutest so that thing was ever. him and then his sister, who I have duly duly named Chewbacca or Chewy, she was right next to him and she was like half sleep blinking. And I have oh owned the redhead for almost twenty years and I had barely get pictures of him sleeping. So it was very cute. Ah, uh, thanks so much for sharing your oh, yeah, horse pictures and talking about your horses. We uh we tend to have cats yes. and dogs and chickens and things, but I don't know if that we've had horses on the podcast yet, so I'm excited about that. They're so mm. cute. No, so I think horses is a first for you when I go out and feed them today. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> cool. You'll extra have to pets uh, and send loves. us a picture so we can share it. Yeah, send us one. We'll put it on uh, our podcast Instagram page so people can see how awesome your horses are. And then if people want to find you or stalk you or ask you video questions, uh, send that information. We'll also put it in the link in the podcast and things like that. Chrissy, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. ABT 101. Woohoo. Thank you. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org. The Sound Girls Living History Project is a collection of oral history interviews that highlights the careers and achievements of women and underrepresented groups in audio. One of the interviews is with Stephanie Brown, a sound editor and dialogue and ADR supervisor, known for her work on The Incredible Hulk, 8 Mile, A Wrinkle in Time, and many others. Working on The Matrix was probably my favorite because at the time we didn't know what that movie was going to be, but we knew something was going to happen. And to see the phenomenon that movie became was amazing. And then to be involved in the sequels it's still the highlight of my career is just being involved in that. Be sure and catch the full interview with Stephanie Brown, along with all the other Living History interviews, over on the Sound Girls website or YouTube channel.